Well, wonderful. Welcome everyone to today's media briefing on the new report from the World Bank and IFPRI on repurposing agricultural policies and support. Uh, this report was just released last week and we have with us today uh, three of the lead authors of the report. Uh, Madhra Guatam from the World Bank, Will Martin from IFPRI, and Rob Voss also from IFPRI. As you said, we're going to start with a brief presentation on the highlights of the report, and then we will open the floor for questions. So with that, I will go ahead and share the screen and hand over to our uh, authors. All right, Rob, I believe you're starting. All right. No, but Maduro will be starting. Oh, Maduro, sorry. Maduro, over to you. Thank you. Uh, good morning. It's our pleasure to present this new study on repurposing agriculture policies and support. The study is joint work by IFPRI and the World Bank. Um, the first question, why this report and why, do we, why would we need to rethink and repurpose agriculture and food policies? Next slide, please. Persistent, next slide. Thank you. Persistent challenges to global food security and the existential threat that climate change raises uh, raise questions about the suitability of existing agriculture policies to address the challenges facing today's and tomorrow's food system. Let's first look at the scale and nature of support um, that is provided to agriculture around the world. In 2016-18, worldwide, this support averaged $638 billion, that's uh, the B, per year. The level of support varies by countries, across countries. Uh, in absolute terms, most of this uh, support benefits farmers in China, the EU, and the United States. More than 70% of this support is linked to farm production and input use, influencing market prices and production decisions. But only 17% of the current support is for public goods and services supporting agriculture, such as research and development and rural infrastructure. About one-tenth of the support takes the form of subsidies for consumers. At a time when farmers bear the brunt of worsening climate change, volatile markets, and shifting consumer demand, government support to farmers is very much needed. The main question this study addresses is how this massive support, public support, could be repurposed to solve, to help solve uh, the problems of food insecurity, poverty, climate change, and unsustainable patterns of food production and consumption. In other words, can it be used to better serve the health of the people, economies, and the planet? Next slide, please. And I hand over to my colleague, Will Martin, uh, to present the key findings of the study. Thank you. Thanks, Madhur. Um, so using IFPRI's model of the global economy, we assess the impacts of repurposing support on climate, nature, food security, poverty, and the economy. The first step was to create a baseline to project outcomes under a business-as-usual scenario by keeping current policies in place for a 20-year period to 2040. This business-as-usual scenario projects that emissions from agricultural production, net emissions, um, would triple by 2040, and an additional 56 million hectares of land would be converted to farmland um, between 2020 and 2040. 80% of the growth in emissions would come from producing livestock and rice. Next slide, please. We then consider a broad range of options for repurposing support to get better outcomes for people, the planet, and the economy. First, we look at what would happen if governments 
eliminated all support. And this helps, use, uh, helps us to analyze the likely impacts of current support. Second, we consider what difference a reallocation of support by commodity would make. For this, we look at what if all commodities received the same rate of support? What if support were reallocated to favor commodities with low greenhouse gas emissions per unit of output? And third, we consider what would happen if payments were made to farmers were made conditional on reducing emission intensive inputs such as chemical fertilizers and pesticides relying only on currently available technologies. And finally, we re consider repurposing a part of current support to develop and promote productivity enhancing and emission reducing green innovations through targeted investments in R&D and promoting adoption of these innovations. Next slide, please. So what do we find? We first look at impacts on emissions on nature and land use in particular. Clearly, the scenarios with removal of support or reallocation of support do not produce the game-changing reductions in emissions needed for sustainability. The scenario that makes payments to farmers conditional, the environmental conditionality scenario on adopting environmental practices with, additional, with existing technologies would be beneficial for the climate by reducing emissions, but not for nature. The environmental conditionality would likely involve lower productivity, and this means more land will be needed to meet food demand. Repurposing support for green innovation, final scenario, would lead to a 40% cut in emissions, would avoid almost all of the incremental emissions in the baseline. Greater resource efficiency would also allow about 50 million hectares of agricultural land to, to return to natural habitats. This beneficial scenario is not just pie in the sky, it builds on evidence from new technologies that have shown enormous potential to both reduce emissions and raise agricultural productivity. Next slide, please. The economic and social impacts of the different repurposing scenarios critically depend on what happens to productivity. When removing all support or reallocated without notably changing productivity, we find negligible gains or even losses for the overall economy. While incomes of farmers would fall, <clears throat> poverty and food insecurity would rise and healthy diets would become less affordable because of rising food prices. In contrast, repurposing for green innovations could generate triple or even quadruple wins by generating significant income growth, reducing poverty and food security and making healthy diets more affordable in addition to benefiting environmental sustainability. Next slide, please. And I now hand over to Rob Voss for some final conclusions. Thank you, Will. So in short, the key insights from the study are that first, current agriculture support is a very blunt instrument for fighting climate change and for addressing challenges of global food security and nutrition. Second, there's great potential for achieving major gains on these fronts by repurposing support towards public investments that facilitate the widespread adoption of predict productivity enhancing and emission reducing technologies for agri-food systems. Further, these policies are likely to have 
strongly positive international spillover. Innovations that reduce environmental impacts and raise productivity are likely to either rapidly adapted in other countries or to provide a basis for developing such technologies in other agroecological contexts. Next slide, please. So these findings make a very strong case for action and more to the point for internationally concerted action. As we note in the report, we are very well aware why this is not happening yet. Even the best designed policy reforms will face political hurdles. Overcoming national, national resistance to agriculture policy reform from affected stakeholders will be a huge challenge. Better understanding, though, of who the likely winners and losers are will be essential for earning political support. So we hope that the insight from this study will create better understanding of the short and the long-term costs and benefits of repurposing agriculture support measures. Such understanding in turn should contribute to reaching consensus on a common reform agenda. And lastly, as already mentioned, action will have to be internationally concerted. This is so because the challenges are global, but international coordination is also needed because the present agriculture support is distributed very unevenly across country. Poorer nations have less fiscal space to provide agriculture support, and also their national agriculture research systems tends to be weaker for de developing high productivity and sustainable farm technologies and practice practices relevant to the local context. Their farmers and other food producers face bigger obstacles in adapting such practices. So to be effective at the global level, an even-handed diffusion of both technologies and financial resources will be needed such that all people, all economies, and the entire planet can reap the benefits of agriculture policy reform. Thank you, and we look forward to your questions. Well, thank you all. Uh, that was a very brief overview, maybe a world record for summarizing research reports. Uh, so thank you for keeping that brief. Uh, we will now open the floor to questions. Uh, please feel free to raise your hand or um, just go ahead and unmute and, and ask your question. Damien, go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks, Drew, and thanks to the presenters for the um, introduction, which is really useful. Um, it, it seems like we have a little bit of time, so I'm going to be cheeky and ask three questions. Um, but what, one is, um, I was interested to get some examples of what the green innovation entails. You know, what kind of technologies are you talking about there? Is it focused on crops? Is it focused on livestock? That sort of thing. Um, the second one, which was addressed um, just at the end there, is kind of, is, is, is how, how, how does change happen? Like, is there kind of a theory around that? Because in most places, there's pretty entrenched um, farming lobby, which are uh, very effective at, at blocking these changes. Um, and then lastly, I'm just wondering about, um, there was a report by uh, UNFAO, UNEP and UNDP last September, which um, concluded that about 90% of farm subsidies are harmful in one way or another. And I'm just wondering if you agreed with that, did your work sort of support that idea? So sorry about the three questions, but there they are. Uh, no, no worries at all, Damien. Thank you for those very good questions. You stole most of my backup questions, so I hope these. <laughs> I hope we have good answers. Rob, did you want to uh, take the first? Yeah, but, well, I'll take on the the last two questions, and then maybe Will, you want to dwell on the the first question. 
So first, uh, to starting with the, your last question on the um, <clears throat> FEO, UNDP, UNEP report. Um, yes, we do agree with those findings um, for the simple reason that we contributed quite strongly to that report. So we wrote one of the chapters and half of another chapter. So a, a, bit part, a big part of the analysis in that report is actually sort of a, a, also a starting point for the present report. Um, so yeah, we agreed with those conclusions. I think the um, what's the progress in this report is that we actually uh, compare um, a range of alternative scenarios of how repurposing could take place rather than emphasizing what is wrong with the uh, actual policies. So rather looking at uh, what, how could we change for the better. Um, on your second question on how can we achieve change? That's of course, a very difficult question. Uh, these, uh, these policies are longstanding, they're entrenched in um, existing um, benefits and hence interest that people and farmers and other stakeholders have with the existing uh, policies. Um, but we think that that's particularly um, for that reason, emphasizing the role of investing more in technology that tends to be easier, acceptable, that uh, can be done at low cost and will can indicate uh, some of these low costs and existing uh, options that are there. Um, and then make sure is that uh, those uh, technologies being made available uh, to all producers. So if, if we do that, then uh, a lot of the, um, yeah, the accessing support might become uh, redundant in the sense that uh, the, the gains will be for a broad range of actors um, to benefit from the productivity enhancing and emission reducing uh, technologies. So, it's, it, uh, but, but that said, um, the, the, the bigger challenge that we also see in the reports is all the scenarios that we run, are assuming that there's some international agreement to move all on the same front. But because we see is that if not all countries um, try to move uh, at, at the same time on, on the same front, then it will be very difficult then to also uh, achieve uh, a national based consensus simply because then uh, some countries uh, may not want to be part uh, of the deal and, and, uh, and take the action uh, that would be needed. So yeah, I think on two fronts, so we need to look very carefully at the types of instruments that we use that uh, likely be less uh, politically controversial and that's particularly investing technology and supporting uh, farmers and other food producers to adopt. Um, and then uh, yeah, trying to seek um, to uh, overcome hurdles at the international level saying, well, these are common uh, problems for today and for the future. So we need to find common solutions. Um, Will, maybe you want to say a few things about oh, yeah. the uh, various technologies. Yep. Th thanks, Damien, for those great questions. Um, the, the productivity um, enhancement and um, emission reduction, there's now quite a bit of work being done uh, on that issue, looking for the right approaches to doing it. What really matters most is, of course, um, emissions from ruminants um, and emissions from rice. Um, on emissions from ruminants, uh, there's quite a lot of work. The most promising approach so far seems to be using dietary additives, particularly um, types of red seaweed that can dramatically reduce emissions 
and raise the productivity, raise the weight gain um, from, from livestock. Um, there's, there's a number of studies I'd be happy to share with you that point to even larger reductions in emissions um, than that we actually simulated more in the order of 40% reduction in emissions um, and very big increases in productivity. Um, as far as rice is concerned, the, um, <clears throat> the perhaps the most impressive um, approach is known as alternate wetting and drying um, rather than continuous flooding um, in the production process. And that gives you uh, dramatic reductions in emissions again of methane, that super potent um, greenhouse gas, um, and savings on, on water use as well, relative to traditional approaches. So we're, we're examining things that, that have been studied in particular contexts. There's probably quite a bit of adaptive research needed to extend them. Um, but there's an, a lot of promise. And until recently, there hasn't been a lot of investment in that type of research and development. Thank you, Will and Rob. Uh, Mater, anything to add? Um, yeah, I mean, just let me just add. Um, I think the answer, the uh, the answers Rob and Will have provided uh, pretty much cover it. I just wanted to add to the second question on how to make it happen. You know, the solutions are going to be in terms of the 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 the, the uh, specific solutions in country context will have to be local specific. You know, it will have to suit the local context. In that sense, you know, the analysis actually needs to move, and this is what we are doing, um, along with uh, with, uh, with the UK government on uh, following the COP26 uh, policy dialogues and the launch of the policy action agenda, and with the the analytical firepower of IFPRI to take the analysis down to the country level to do the analysis there to identify specific solutions, uh, engage in multi-stakeholder dialogues to, to understand and get the farmers on board and get all the stakeholders on board to understand what the solutions are. Because everybody's interested in sustainability. It's not just um, um, one or two uh, specific stakeholders. Everybody has a stake in, in sustainability and the farmers are, are uh, willing, at least the farmers that we have talked to, are quite keen to identify options that may be uh, workable and, and find a way that actually delivers the triple wins. Uh, and we emphasize the, the role of triple wins, the, the role of productivity, farmer welfare, as well as sustainability and resilience um, and delivering better outcomes uh, on health. Thank you. Thank you. Bisani, uh, do you have a question? Thank you, Drew. Um, in fact, I have two questions. My first question, I just want to find out from the from, from the authors, are you advocating for a total removal of, of subsidies for agriculture? Given that subsidies are quite political, and um, if I take in developing countries that where governments are spending a bit of money really in, in, in subsidizing agriculture compared to the amount that's being spent in developed countries, which um, in some ways has actually led to, to inequality in agricultural trade. So I would like to get your take on what should happen to religious subsidies. And secondly, how do we get a political um, support really to, to actually uh, promote investment in, in agriculture, given that agriculture is largely underfunded, especially in Africa? How do we get politicians and, and policies to really get uh, this in? Because when we are talking about this alternative funding and uh, repurposing funds that are there 
but you realize that agriculture is still poorly funded. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, Rob, did you want to go ahead and take the first crack at that? Yeah, take a first crack at it, and then Madhur and, and Will can complement as, as needed. So first, on, on your first question, uh, a very good question, what should we do with existing support? Uh, but the first thing we did is to, to run simulations with uh, what would happen if you would re remove all support. And um, then what we find is that surprisingly, even though, of course, uh, support measures do influence producer and consumer um, decisions, that uh, the over impact on the desired outcomes in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, poverty reduction and improved food security uh, would not be that big. If, if all countries would just remove their subsidies. And that's uh, for a variety of, of reasons, uh, but uh, in part because, um, um, uh, yeah, it would basically um, shift, maybe shift production to other places because of the change in incentives, but its uh, overall production would not uh, change too much um, at a global scale. And hence, for instance, for the climate objectives, it wouldn't do much to um, uh, greenhouse gas uh, emissions. So for that reason, what we propagate is not uh, so much to eliminate the support, but rather to rethink the support altogether and knowing that we do need to, and that relates to your second question, to fix the underinvestment in new technologies, particularly in green innovations, uh, in order to, um, to drive the system, the food systems, towards uh, more productivity that would be good for um, food availability, for food access, as well as uh, if done in the right way for um, improved uh, ecological and environmental uh, outcomes, particularly by reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, yeah, as, as we uh, mentioned and asked to, uh, to uh, David's question um, earlier, um, yeah, what, how to, how to um, effectuate the change, yeah, that will have to come first with yeah, a, a, a common understanding and a common agreement uh, that we need to make these changes in order to keep food systems sustainable and get better food outcomes. And uh, uh, with that, uh, then uh, we have to make it clear that uh, some parts of the world are um, under, uh, more underfunded uh, than others. And that's what uh, we emphasize in the report. That's why we would need uh, not just uh, a good diffusion of the new innovations um, to all countries and make it all accessible and adoptable in, um, in countries like Africa, but it also have to have to come with uh, um, support in terms of resources that would help uh, farmers and other players uh, overcome the hurdles to adopt uh, such improved uh, technologies and reap the benefits uh, from it. Um, Madhu, yeah, yeah, let me come in and think, you know, um, uh, as, as um, I mentioned in the, in the opening, um, the issue is at this time, um, especially in Africa, one, um, the, the level of support across countries varies quite widely. So you're absolutely right that, you know, the level of it's in a, one has to look at the, the country circumstances very closely to understand what the level of support is and how it is being applied. And some of the analysis from FAO um, uh, monitoring the, the policies also shows that in, in a, a number of African countries, 
in several African countries, the, the market price support actually is negative in the sense that farmers are being taxed. So one has to look at the entire policy framework very carefully to identify where the support is coming from and how it's helping or not helping the farmers. The second is um, to identify what are the best options. So we are not talking about removal and that's why the title of the study is, is chosen in, in very specifically to really argue that we, we understand the farmers need support and we are not arguing for removing the support. As a matter of fact, as you say, in a lot of places, more support is needed. But are we spending what we are spending the right way so that we can build a case for more? So we're talking about repurposing within agriculture, not outside of agriculture and where the case may be to increase investments. And I think the most powerful uh, case for increasing investments, uh, all the African governments have signed up to 10% uh, under the CADAP uh, initiative to expend 10% expend of their uh, public resources on, on agriculture. The question is what are the right kinds of investments to put their money into to give them the biggest bang for the buck? I think that is what this analysis also helps uh, identify the real options the, 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 the policymakers have and, and again, uh, building the case uh, from bottom up for um, uh, getting the different stakeholders on board to take this forward. Thanks. And, and just to uh, one additional point, I think um, that's important here. Uh, Rob emphasized how desirable it is to have a concerted action right from the beginning to move quickly because um, of the evolution, the, the, the threat of climate change. Um, but if not every country signs up right away, there is a favorable dynamic involved here um, with improvements in, in productivity. It's a complete mirror image of what we see in the debate about carbon taxes. If you have a carbon tax, um, you reduce the competitiveness of your producers and you get very strong political economy resistance to moving in that direction. Um, if you have green innovations, you're investing in things that raise productivity and reduce emissions, producers in other countries are going to want um, to want that. And there'll be pressure um, for their governments just to, to work to enhance these approaches um, and to adapt them for their local environment. So that's the, the important dynamic there. Thanks. Thank you all of you for those points. Um, Amy, I think I missed your hand earlier, so apologies for that. That's okay, I had some trouble with the icons. Um, uh, so given the variability among various countries, you talked about how there would have to be pretty universal buy-in sort of at individual country levels and among countries to begin to sow something that would get the kind of widespread support you're talking about do you start with governments? Do you start with nonprofits? Do you start with farmers themselves? Like what would be the approach and would that need to be different in different parts of the world? Yeah, thanks for that question. I'm, I'm not a political scientist to, to uh, understand sufficiently those processes, but I do think it's uh, what we do mention in the report. It probably we think that uh, an effective approach could be is to make sure not just that governments um, take different decisions, but that they properly consult about those decisions uh, with, uh, with the involved stakeholders. So we know that, for instance, Europe would have been very painful reforms of their agricultural policies over the, over the decades. And even 
uh, where farmers are a small proportion of the economically active population, they do still amass uh, significant political uh, clout and are able to stop or, um, or delay uh, lots of reforms. But at the same time, I think uh, European Union is also a case where yeah, you could see that the change is possible. It could be driven by um, other international agreements. So when it comes to uh, border measure protection, the arrangement in WTO have, have pushed for change, uh, particularly in Europe in, 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 with recent uh, reforms. Um, so you could imagine that uh, um, also stronger agreements on the environment, particularly with, with uh, climate change, with the Paris Agreement and others, that there will come a stronger push that would gain uh, further political support. But I think where, where studies like this are, are so important is that what we're trying to do is to identify um, who would be winners and losers? What could be trade-offs if you take um, uh, one measure and reform that? And uh, what would that mean for other desirable outcomes? So, um, so we need those these kind of studies, and then to help uh, both governments and uh, stakeholders to um, to inform them, saying, "Well, this is what, why we're doing it." And uh, there may be cost, you may lose something maybe in the short run, but uh, then there will be gains. Uh, over time that are both good for you as individual players in the in the market as well as for society at large and of course the societal objectives are the main focus of the report and what we would see as the main aim for the reform so i think that that if there's uh, yeah more of these um, concerted efforts at national levels or be it at the european level or other big players, then, then that, that could help forge larger agreements um, uh, and also connected to uh, other existing agreements, like what I mentioned, the agreements on climate change um, uh, and other related uh, agreements, uh, including also the uh, international agreements on the sustainable development goals that aim for the same type of outcomes. But I agree, it's easier said than done. But I think the, the elements could be there. It's, it's just you, know, you need a political process to push hard uh, in, in, in that direction and seek consensus with all, yeah, all the available information on the table, particularly on who will be the likely winners and losers in the process. And can the, those aspects be reconciled uh, to gain the, the necessary political support? Yes, I think the, the political scientists talk about the power of ideas and interests. Uh, the first step is to get some, uh, in, in our view, the first step is to get some analysis, get some information um, uh, to help um, provoke, you know, to stimulate ideas. Um, and then it moves into a process where there are coalitions and there are, there are uh, different um, political uh, interests um, that, that are pursued. But given that what we're looking at and what we're advocating it actually generates um, such widely um, spread gains, we're optimistic that this has more got, got a better chance of adoption than some other approaches. Well, I don't know, I, I'm, Drew, if you're waiting for me, no, I don't have much to add. I think the, the responses are pretty comprehensive. Uh, I mean, all I can say is uh, I don't think we can start from one end or the other. I think um, the stakeholders have to be involved and they have to be informed. 
and involved um, at all levels. And you know, governments make the policies, farmers are the target, the two have to sit together and we have to involve, um, we make the, the policy making process a whole lot more inclusive. Um, there's no, no two ways around it, thanks. Thanks, Madhur. I think that was an important point, actually. Um, if there are any final questions, please uh, throw up a hand quickly. Otherwise, I will make uh, one. Ah, yes, Damien, please go ahead. Sorry, just one more since uh, we seem to have time. Was, um, I'm wondering in terms of the options for repurposing. Um, I mean, you'll correct me if I've got this wrong, but it tends to be livestock and staples that get most of the subsidies. And obviously they're often consumed in too great an amount in, in some countries and, and fruit, vegetables, nuts, pulses tend not to get so much subsidy and are not eaten at the sort of healthy levels. I'm just wondering, was that one of the options you looked at in terms of repurposing and did it seem to have any benefits? Will, did you want to? Oh, no, we, we, we do. We look at the pattern of subsidies um, in the in the report, uh, table 3.1 and 3.2. Uh, um, and we, we don't find a strong dispersion in favour of the, the most emission intensive um, industries. Um, one thing that confuses the picture a little bit um, is that quite a lot of subsidies go to products like maize, um, which of course are animal feeds. Um, so one thing we did consider um, was to move the, remove the subsidies away from the more emission intensive products, you know, the livestock and rice, um, uh, to, to other products, um, to the rest of agriculture, including fruits and vegetables. Um, we actually found that did almost almost nothing um, to to emissions and part of what's going on there of course was that we were transferring support to, to inputs to the livestock sector um, there is other work available a recent paper um, that uh, uh, looks at transferring all support to fruits and vegetables and does see a, a modest reduction I think it's 1.7 percent um, in uh, in, in total uh, emissions. So that sort of complements our, our, our assessment that you're not going to get game-changing gains simply by reallocating um, support uh, across commodities. Um, what we really need is things, innovations that change the way um, things are, products are produced in order to lower emissions. Maybe just uh, one point to add uh, to, the, to that. Um, uh, it is true that when we think of uh, fruits, vegetables, and pulses, for instance, that the new technologies that we've that been developed for agriculture over the decades particularly benefited the production of, of staples, uh, the basic grains and, uh, like um, wheat and rice and, and maize. Um, so, and that also is, is one factor uh, that's that not in this study, but uh, we believe one factor that makes um, those kind of products, the fruits and vegetables um, of the world, a lot more expensive than the staple foods because a lot more productivity effort has been going into those products. Mm -hmm. So what you could imagine is part of the um, uh, shift as we propose to um, repurpose, particularly for more investments in better technologies and then help farmers uh, Adopt those that that could also include, um, uh, yeah, favoring more investment in the productivity of uh, 
for, for the production of fruits, vegetables, and pulses, and other more dense uh, nutrients. And that would then also reduce their cost. And that would then uh, probably also help consumers make better dietary choices uh, towards a more nutritious, more healthy uh, diet. So in the report, we don't get to that level of detail, but we, um, you could imagine because we do look at the impacts of what's the cost of a healthy diet. And uh, we, we do find is that any scenario that doesn't improve the productivity overall uh, will increase the average cost of diets and, and, uh, and uh, likely in the same way as happening now and that would entail that uh, healthy diets be would become less affordable to poor people uh, around the world. So um, yeah, so the productivity effects of both benefits for the environment uh, by reducing uh, resource use and thus emissions and uh, will have uh, important impacts for incomes, but also for uh, reducing uh, food prices and that will be good for food security and for nutrition. Nothing to add, Okay. Uh, well, we have a few minutes on everyone's calendar here. So if there are any, uh, any other questions, please do put up a hand uh, while we have everyone's time reserved. I have um, one question I will throw out to the group, which uh, is that, you know, a 40% reduction in um, uh, agricultural emissions is a, a tremendous gain, and yet it's also not enough to reach global climate goals. I mean, one of our colleagues, Channing Arndt at IFPRI, has argued that uh, agriculture and land use change actually needs to get to negative emissions to make up for sort of lingering emissions in old buildings and industrial processes for which there is not yet the technology to uh, to accomplish, you know, zero carbon emissions yet. So uh, I, I guess I will answer this in part by saying there's a lot of other work going on at IFRI and the World Bank to, to highlight the other areas in which, uh, and ways in which agriculture and land use can reduce emissions, but uh, particularly our global food policy report coming up from IFPRI in uh, April. But uh, any thoughts from the three of you on, on the other areas uh, in which to look to reduce emissions in agriculture. Yeah, well, um, maybe just a few quick pointers um, on that. Of course, very first, uh, with this report, we do not pretend to have the total solution. So we're just looking at uh, one type of policy instruments, which are the, uh, yeah, we call it the, the price influencing instruments that uh, that governments have and uh, and the fiscal support that is being provided to the sector and we particularly also look in the um in the report mostly at uh, what that does that do uh, to the supply side uh, of the food se uh, sector so what does it do to decisions by farmers to adopt uh, better practices uh, to achieve better outcomes so what we show is that you can get a long way, but that doesn't mean that's the total solution, right? So um, we also know is that, uh, of course, a lot of uh, production decisions also depend on okay, what happens on the demand side, right? So if there's uh, um, yeah, uh, shifts, big shifts to uh, uh, demand for more emission intense uh, products uh, like, uh, like livestock products, uh, but also uh, rice as, as we mentioned, um, then well, you can do two things. One is to work more on the productivity and the efficiency and emission reducing uh, technologies uh, to, um, uh, 
to work that on the supply side, but you can also work that on the demand side, particularly trying to influence the degree of demand for, um, uh, particularly for livestock products, which would then would have uh, further offspring. So you could make bigger effects. But then there is also certain other aspects that we did not account for uh, in the report, and that might uh, much more lead to um, uh, also negative emissions, just like improving the health and the quality of soils that are a major sequester of greenhouse gas emissions as well as, uh, which we partly look at, but we look at the land use change so that uh, to the extent that would then also uh, enable um, uh, reconverting agriculture lands into forestry uh, and other um, uh, ways to, um, to absorb more uh, greenhouse gas emissions in order to get to the negative uh, figure, right? So, um, so more needs to be done, but uh, the big point we want to make with uh, in this report, number one is the importance of more investing more in technology, and number two is the utmost importance of giving the market players, which ultimately drive the food system, the incentives needed uh, to drive towards the necessary change. And that would involve both the producers, which we look at mostly at this report, as well as um, uh, we also need to work on the consumption side. Great, uh, great, uh, great question, Drew. Um, I think, um, re remember that 40% reduction in greenhouse gases comes from a productivity uh, shock and an emission intensity shock of, of 30%. So what's going on? Um, uh, is that when you have those improvements in productivity, um, <clears throat> you need to use less land. Um, and as a consequence of that, you have less um, emissions from land use change. So um, the recent literature on innovations and the green innovations of this type suggests we can get bigger um, reductions in emissions and bigger reduction, bigger improvements in productivity. So it's just um, you know, a very early um, uh, part of the process. But to reinforce your point, um, recent work suggests that getting emissions from agriculture down is hugely important if we're to uh, achieve the goals of holding um, the increase in global temperatures below two degrees Celsius. So um, it's hugely important. And there's a lot more um, than, than that can be done than what we're uh, analyzing here. Yeah, just to add to that, um, a, a great question. We are, at this point, we are, you know, we are just simulating. Remember, these are simulations. It's simulating a small part of, of repurposing. Of course, you could do more. Uh, there's a lot more that can be done. So the point to make was, a small repurposing can basically lead to significant gains. And then there are other things that, as, as Rob very rightly mentioned, the number of different instruments that, that can be applied. Food loss and waste is a huge issue. Uh, just improving supply chain efficiencies, bringing in uh, digital technologies to improve the way we do business, um, to reduce the pressures on, on both ends of the supply chain is, is another one. So there are a number of other things. Soils is a huge uh, thing that, that the GFFA, the Global Forum of Food and Agriculture, just focused on. You know, the, getting the incentives right to, to encourage farmers and, and uh, to invest in soil health it can, be a, can be a huge benefit to, for the environment. So yes, a lot needs to be done um, and a lot can be done. And I think that the, 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 the research is showing that 
there is potential and a lot more can be done than we are doing now, even with what we are using without putting more money in. Of course, you can put more money in and, and, and achieve more outcomes, better outcomes. Thank you all. Yes, I totally agree. I think agriculture does not get enough uh, attention as a, an essential piece of solving the climate puzzle. And this is a very important report for, for underscoring that and the potential that's out there. I mean, to your point, uh, Madhur, that was only repurposing 15%, I think, right in this, in this model uh, of current subsidies. So as you said, there could be more done. And uh, certainly for MIFPRI, as I mentioned, uh, our Global Food Policy Report this April is going to highlight this very issue with some of these other, uh, other uh, options and ways for reducing emissions. So do look out for that. Was there uh, a final point that you had on that, uh, Major? Sorry? Uh, what, sorry, was there something you were going to add on that? Uh, no, 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 I was just agreeing with you. Uh, well, if there are no final questions, I think we can give everyone back about 15 minutes of their day, which is always a bonus. So thank you everyone for joining this morning. Uh, as I said, we've recorded and I will be distributing this afterwards. So uh, you're free to pull any quotes from any of that uh, in your reporting. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Bye.